to worship at McGregor EMC Church for Sunday, April 26th, 2020. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for inviting us into your presence and into each other's fellowship as we worship this way. Thank you that no matter where we are, we can be joined together by our union in you. And thank you for calling us together as your sons and daughters, together with your Son, Jesus Christ, who came, who lived, who died, who rose again and ascended to be our example and our strength. And thank you for your Holy Spirit, who keeps us together no matter where we are. Focus us together on your beauty, on your nature, and on all that you have for us today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our call to worship is from Psalm 18, verses 1 to 3, 46, and 49. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The, the Lord, Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God my Savior. Therefore, I will praise you among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to your name. Oh, 
I'll be reading this morning from Psalm 116, verses 1 to 4 and 12 to 19. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Thank you. 
On the journey to Emmaus, with our hearts cold as stone, the one who would save us had left us alone. Then a stranger walks with us, and to our surprise, he opens our stories and he opens our eyes. And our hearts burned within us as we talked on the way. How all that was promised was ours on that day. So we begged him, stay with us and grant us your word. We welcomed the stranger, and we welcomed the Lord. And that evening at the table, as he blessed and broke bread, we saw it was Jesus arisen from the dead. Though he vanished before us, we knew he was near. The life in our dying and the hope in our fear, on our journey to Emmaus, in our stories and feast, with Jesus we claim that the greatest is least, and as words burn within us, let none be ignored. Who welcomes a stranger shall welcome the Lord. Beside the sea, 
bow our heads now in a word of prayer. Our God, we come before you this morning wanting to affirm our faith. Lord, we have seen the many ways that you have worked, not only in the passage that we will hear about today, but also all throughout history and even now in our town and in the people that we know. God, you are everything to us. And what we want more than anything is to walk with you. And in line with that, God, we also want to come before you now in a word of confession. It's a hard world that we live in. And sometimes that has caused us to come up short. Our God, we bring all of these things before you, all of our sins, and we pray you forgive us, as we know that you will because it says so in your word. We don't take this for granted, but instead we are humbled by it each and every time. Again, we thank you for all that you are. Our God, we want to pray for our world around us today. We want to pray for the different governments that there are as they're now beginning to look at reopening the economy after what has seemed like a lifetime. Lord, we pray that your wisdom will be with each and every one of the people that are in those conversations. It will be a hard road. Likely there will be stops and starts, but God, we know that you are the great physician. We know that you Have everything in your hand. We pray that you will be guidance for us going forward from this time. And God, over the last while now, we have definitely noticed how you have been working in a town around us. And we thank you for that. We've seen the growing faith of our friends, of our family, of us as well. Lord, we pray that you will continue to reignite in us this passion for you. Lord, we pray that as the different restrictions get lifted and we go into a new normal, that you will stay with us reigniting that passion each and every day. Lord, we pray that we will keep you front and center in our minds from this day going forward, that there will be that revival that we have seen time and time before and are thirsty for again. And God, we pray also, in line with that, to see your kingdom built in this community as well, because there is so much that needs you. Lord, this time of being locked in has been very hard for many people in our town. Many relationships have been strained. But God, we know that you are capable of bringing back together those that have torn themselves apart. So God, we pray that you will be with these relationships, that you will work to heal them up. And God, that we pray that you will be seen through it. And Lord, also we pray for the situations where things have moved past and are now at the point where they are either bordering on or have become abusive. God, we pray that you will be strength to each of these people that are affected. God, we pray that you will give them the strength to reach out so that help can be found as well. 
We pray that they know just how much they are loved and how much others are willing to help. And God, at the same time, we also pray for so much of our town that is suffering because of all of the effects. We pray for the businesses and we pray for the individuals that have found themselves without work. Lord, we pray that each and every day you will continue to provide. Lord, in each and every one of these things, we can see you. We can see what you will do. And we praise your name for it. In your name we pray. Amen. I will be reading from Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Siophis, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So thus far the reading of God's word. Have you ever in your life had a moment that you can in hindsight only describe as an epiphany. One of those moments where before it, you assume that the world worked one way, but then after, click, the lights came on, your eyes opened, and the world and what you see as your place in it became just something completely different from then on in. I've had one, as I suspect that many of you have. It happened years ago, right before things got real serious with my wife Shannon and I, 
We were in college in our last semester at that point, and as will sound like a familiar story for really anyone that's ever read a book in their lives, more and more I found myself remembering the things she said and just laughing like an idiot right in the middle of nowhere. I would expect that my friends thought I was going crazy if it wasn't for the fact that they, they likely saw the writing on the wall far before I did, as is, I guess, typical in that kind of situation. But as for why I'm telling you this particular tale, one afternoon after playing through some story that she told me the day before for about the hundredth time in my head, I had my moment of epiphany strike. And I'll tell you, it hit me in the corner of the face like a brick. Now, I was young when this happened. And at that time, the possibility of using big life moments as illustrations and sermons had not yet crossed my mind. So pardon me for what I'm about to say next, but I'm going to include it for the sake of truthful accuracy in my reminiscing all the same. But loudly, I, I recall swearing at the top of my lungs, followed by, I think I love this girl. And my life changed that day to working to become the kind of man she might actually want to spend her life with, too. Click. The lights came on. The world and my place in it, it changed from that day. I had a new purpose. One that had me running up a pretty steep hill, if I do say so myself. But, hey... Most epiphanies, at least the good ones anyway, they, they give you the amount of excitement that you need to do just that. But I tell this story because if you want to understand what today's passage is about at its core, well, it's about this kind of thing. It's about an epiphany. It's about two people who for their entire life went through the world in one way, and then who, over the course of one long walk and a very awkward meal with a stranger, came to see everything, the world, God, creation, and the purpose of their lives changed completely. The story of the road to Emmaus that was read for us before, it takes place immediately after the resurrection of Jesus in the book of Luke. That's the story where the Mary see the empty tomb that we talked about at Easter. We know from today's passage that the Marys had told the two men in this story what they had saw, but likely given the fantastical nature of the resurrection, it seems that these two men, while surely confused and wanting to believe, were still leaning pretty heavily on the skeptic side of the fence. Hence why it is that while we know from the passages before this story as well as those after that all of the disciples and faithful followers of Jesus were still in Jerusalem at this point, these two men instead find themselves leaving the city to just go home. From the first few verses of this passage, we know the two men have been walking for a little bit now, long enough that they could talk about all the things that had happened while they were in Jerusalem. And there were a lot of things that just happened, to be sure. Over the past week, Jesus had burst into the holy city at the head of a parade. He had taught some truly revolutionary things to the masses, and he had whipped people with a literal whip to make sure that they were driven out of the temple. 
And because of all this, he was arrested by the rulers in the city and he was put to death. And now there was talk about how his body was missing. These two men truly had a lot to talk about. And I like to imagine that they were so engrossed in their conversation that they didn't even notice that another person came up to them until he spoke. This other person, we are told, was Jesus, risen from the grave as the Marys had told the men that he was. But he read that the two kept, we read that the two were kept from recognizing him. There is a, a reason for this, and we're going to see it in just a little bit too. But as Jesus joins the men, we come to one of the two parts of the story I must admit I find a little uncomfortable. Because if you picture this story through the eyes of these two men, here's what happens. First, they are in a deep personal conversation with some stranger just joins them out of the blue. This stranger then asks to be filled in on all of the local current news. It's all okay up to this point. But then, then this stranger completely hijacks the conversation telling these two men who were likely there every step along the way how they had understood all of the events that had just taken place over the past week completely wrong. I mean, imagine if that happened to you. Now, I fully admit this discomfort may just be because in my heart of hearts I am quite the introvert, but these two former followers of Christ... They clearly don't feel the same way that I do because they, they drink it in. They guzzle it, devour it. They are walking seven miles in the Judean terrain, which because of the hills is a couple hours of walk at least. And so for a good chunk of the day, we can imagine this group of three is just plodding along, one foot after the other, all the while consuming the insights of this mystery man about just who Jesus actually was. And the full weight of this passage, I think it's lost on a good number of us, especially any of us who were raised in the faith. And I say that because by the time we get to this story of these men sauntering in the direction of Emmaus, at the absolute least, we have already been walking with Jesus' teachings through the pages of the book of Luke. And more than likely, though, if you're like me, you have actually been taking these words as a given for the entirety of your life. Everything Jesus teaches these two men on the road to Emmaus is essentially just a summary of the Gospels, after all. So, for us, it reads more like boring common knowledge. We have become desensitized to it. And because of this, as we see these words again, I want to ask you all to do something for me. Try to change your perspective just a little bit. And honestly, try to take in this part of the story as if you were one of those second-string followers of Christ who are now finding themselves enamored with the words of this Jesus in disguise. These two men, it would be a safe bet, were raised with the same stories of God that many of us have been. With where they lived and when they lived, almost certainly they were raised from childhood with the stories and teachings of the Old Testament. With Adam and Eve, Abraham, Moses, David, and Isaiah. 
These two men would have been steeped in the tales of these people. Also because of when and where they lived, we know something else about their faith and understanding of the world as well. How they would have been taught that they should act out their faith and how it's formed through these stories that they know. It would have been extremely legalistic, just like it is for many of us today. As followers of God, that means you should do this and not that. And certainly this means that you shouldn't do this other thing. Only sinners would do that. These two men, their faith would have had God as a distant figure. Someone who came around to punish and to bail them out when they had messed up too bad. Someone who required a very particular lifestyle lest he be upset and just punish again. Did God love these two men? Sure, but in the same kind of way that an emperor loves his subjects, but still rakes them over their coals if they skip out on paying their taxes. Now imagine that's your faith. Hard, I know. And then this stranger begins to talk. He begins at a place you understand well, with the stories you were raised with. The stories of your faith, all these things that make up the way you think of life and how you should act in it. The stories that tell you who God is and who, how he acts towards his people and who his people are because of that. All these stories that form the backbone of who you are and these two men are. And then one by one, this stranger begins to flip each and every one of these stories on their head. When God says he loves his people, he isn't just saying that from a distance. You can imagine Jesus would have told these two. When sin was brought into the world, that didn't make God love his people or his creation any less. Christ would have continued on. One story after another, he would have gone through and carefully and painstakingly, he would have told the tale of what God has done for the world. A story where no matter how bad things got, God never let his creation go. A story where everything God did, even when it seemed like he didn't care, he was still working to bring all the world closer to himself, to heal it. A story where we find out that God loves us so much that even though he knew what would happen, he still chose to be born a human being, Jesus Christ, because in that way, finally after all this time, God would be with his children again and things could finally be made better. A story where we come to know that the Lord loves us so much that even death itself would not be enough to keep the love of God from you and me and these two men listening to Christ's talk absolutely awestruck by what it is that they're hearing. A story where in light of all the loving wonders of what he has done for us, our God is asking only one thing in return. And in it, he has given true purpose to all people. 
God wants us to walk with him again. Put yourself in the shoes of these two men, hearing this message for the first time. One by one, imagine Jesus shows you all the bricks that make up the foundations of your life and then explains them in a way that they just make sense and that shows how he is the one that they have all been building up toward. Say these two men were fascinated would have been an understatement. They, they were, in fact, so entranced that when they came to the end of their walk, close to supper time and the shadows just beginning to grow long, they asked this mystery man to come with them to their house. The two brought out some food, and all the while, this man talked. All the while, their lives and their faith ebbed closer and closer to making new sense. Jesus' words, you can assume, are just playing on a constant repeat in their minds. And then they sit down to eat, and Jesus takes the bread, and he breaks it. The second thing that makes me uncomfortable with this story is he is their guest, but nevertheless, it was in that moment of shared community that click, epiphany, and their lives made new sense, had new purpose. They recognized Jesus for who he truly was, and without even waiting for the new day to come, the two men leave their house, food still on the table, and they race to the other followers of Christ so that they can tell everyone together what they just came to know was the truth. And that right there, that's what the story of the road to Emmaus is all about. Epiphany. It's the story of the first time in Scripture where the big picture of what God has done and how much he loves you and me just clicked. To which two lives find their new purpose to walk with God, follow as he leads, help those in need. It's a story of when that old legalistic, punitive faith of an angry God that many of us were raised with suddenly gave way. And in its place, we for the first time find ourselves confronted with the full extent of the love of God who wants nothing more than for his children to walk with him again. And so, having laid that all out, I have two questions to draw this message to a close. How do you see God? And how do you see your purpose in life? In what Jesus taught these two men on the road to Emmaus, you'll find an outstandingly beautiful and loving answer to both of those questions. And when you find it, and it truly sets in, I promise you, click. Things will never be the same.
before our benediction, we come to the book of Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go now and serve the Lord.